Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And I know Matt, he was in Madison on Saturday, uh, able to watch the Badgers in person, and he missed the first half of the game on television at least. But it's appeared that the Green Bay Packers also missed the first half of the game that they were in uh, as they got trounced by Tennessee in the first half, 35-10, to en route to a 47-25 to defeat at the hands of a pretty mediocre team at best. And Matt, we were kind of joking back and forth, texting after this game, really wondering what was left for us to say about this team. We've done a lot of the doom and gloom long-term things, and of course we'll get into that. But to me, I just wanted to post this clip from Seinfeld that I thought was very apropos. But well, what happened in the game anyway? <laughs> what happened? Well, they stunk. That's what happened. Yeah, I, I don't know what else you say other than that. I mean, we can we can keep rehashing the same old stuff, but I mean, to come out like that, and I'm maybe I'm lucky that I didn't get to see most of that first half, but I just can believe it. And it was kind of fun, actually, for a change, being able to listen to Wayne and Larry on the radio just kind of bash the team and just, I mean, to, to share that with them instead of the normal TV announcers was kind of fun, but it was just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Just, it not only was our offense sputtering, but the defense. I mean, you could have put the Badgers' defense out there, and they would have been much more successful against the Tennessee Titans' offense there through those first few series. It just getting absolutely gashed. It was just incredible how poorly they came out. Yeah, I saw a statistic that the Titans had, like, two yards after contact on their six touchdowns. Yikes. I mean, they had a 75-yard touchdown run from DeMarco Murray, who was hurt coming into the game, and um, I don't know if you saw any highlights or had any desire to seek them out, but that first play was, at least on defense for the Packers, was one of the most uninspired plays I've ever seen. Uh, Quentin Rollins jogging the last 10 yards, and I know he's been banged up, but um, from that moment on, it it felt like this was going to be a bad game. I mean, the Titans started out the game, obviously giving the Packers a ton of respect. Surprise onside. Joe Thomas plays great and recovers it, and... Then they go three and out on a very bad third down that should have easily been converted, and then the route was on from there. And I'm curious to hear how it came across on the radio with the Packers announcers. Was uh, Larry just uh, beside himself, or was he somber? How did that uh, play out? Yeah, th- there was definitely some a little bit of anger in there, but they just kind of continually were talking about how this is the worst in the time that they've been announcing together. They can remember a game starting or looking in, at all in their whole tenure as, as Packers announcers. Um, I mean, they had a lot to say, obviously, about the game quality overall, and they were complaining about the refs a lot. But, I mean, you could tell that they're kind of the, to the same point that we are, that you, you know, you're just kind of at a loss for words at that point when you see a team that's been struggling. They, they seem to say they know what's going on, but then to come out and start a game like that, that you sh- in a game you should win nonetheless, and to just look like you don't want to be there. And I think they were pretty frustrated too. Especially after the entire conversation around this team this week was about them trying to have more energy. And Mike Daniels apparently exploded in the locker room after the Indianapolis game, and then to just have even less energy than you had against the Indianapolis Colts certainly does not reflect very well on the coaching staff or any of those players as individuals. Right, yep. Um, You mentioned about how poor this performance was. I was hard-pressed to think of the last time I saw them look this bad, and I think I had to go all the way back to the Monday night beatdown after it was clear that Mike Sherman was going to get fired uh, right before Christmas 2005 when they lost to an awful Ravens team 48-3 to on Monday night football. That was probably the last time that I've seen such an uninspired team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking back to maybe a couple of those um, routes they had against them in like oh six. Oh I yeah, mean, it was, I mean it was still it was really nothing compared to this for quite some time. Yeah, and uh, the twenty one to nothing first quarter lead by Tennessee. Um, I didn't get a chance to verify the statistic, but from what I had heard is it's the first time since week seventeen of the nineteen eighty six season that the Packers had fallen down twenty one to nothing at the end of the first quarter. And uh, that was at the eventual Super Bowl champion, New York Giants. And for I've never seen that game, but I know about it just because if you've seen the 1986 Giants America's Game episode, 
they had an existential crisis in that game because at halftime after a mini Packers rally, they were only up by seven points and it made them think that they weren't very good anymore, that this was going to be the turning point in their year because the Packers in the Forrest Gregg era in the 80s with Randy Wright and those guys were so bad that teams were just embarrassed to even be within a touchdown of them. (laughs) And that's how the Packers resembled yesterday, which is not a good sign. Okay, so there's going to be not much in the individual part of this game. Um, It really was an odd, odd game that was basically over about five minutes into it. And there's a lot coming out today where the national media is really picking up on this. Mike McCarthy needs to go. Uh, The shutdown corner article on Yahoo, basically uh, the entire lead was about the Packers needing to move on from Mike McCarthy. Uh, Chris Sims has this weird thing on Facebook where he just kind of rants to the camera for 90 seconds, and the subject of this this week was how Mike McCarthy should be fired. And he had one earlier in the season about how simple Mike McCarthy's offense was. So, you know, um, Chris Sims knows a lot about great offenses, so he's, uh, you know, right there. But it's really starting to pick up that – um, and, and me personally, I texted you this yesterday. Last week I was defending McCarthy in the seven straight playoffs, and uh, I still think it would be very out of character, although I found one example that uh, this eerily resembles. But I'm coming around after seeing that effort yesterday that if things don't turn around, that it might be time. Well, if it's more like this, it's going to happen. I mean, if you have more games like this continually through the rest of the year, I'd, I don't care what you say about his record, he's going to go. Um, you can't come out and play like that. I think you can kind of struggle your way to a 7-9 and record, kind of like we talked about last week, and he may stick around. But if you look this uninspired and this offense is still sputtering like this, um, you know, they're, they have a losing record over the last 21 games or whatever it is now at this point. And clearly not turning around anytime soon with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at this point, I think I think a lot of people are getting on board with that. And I know McCarthy had a press conference today where he was quite defensive about this. Um, Which is I not think, a good sign. If he felt he needed right. to address it, that must mean it's in his mind, too. Well, it's everywhere. It's hard not to at this point. And I think everybody knows there's a lot of blame to go around, but I think now it's starting to... Whereas he's been defended from this for a couple of years now, or a year and a half now that it's been that they've been struggling, it's finally coming around to him, and I think the pressure's on right now. I would agree, and he's responsible for a lot of the strategic stuff, but to see a team just completely not want to play when their season's on the brink uh, in a lot of ways is really not a good sign to him, and... um, We'll we'll get into more of these things, but I had brought up last week where I couldn't think of someone as accomplished as him who really hasn't had that big fall off that has been fired when he was fired. And uh, I was trying to look at examples today. You have some like Tony Dungy who was fired after four playoff appearances in six years in Tampa, um, but he had a much worse winning percentage than um, Mike McCarthy. John Gruden, who won a Super Bowl but hardly even made the playoffs with Tampa, was barely over 500. Uh, Sir, so McCarthy's much better than that. You had Bill Cower, who had a mini crisis in the late 90s when he or the general manager, whoever, decided to stick with Cordell Stewart no matter how bad he played, and they had a seven and nine season followed by a six and ten season followed by another nine and seven uh, season where they didn't make the playoffs, and they stuck with Cower there. Um, but here's one that's really interesting. We talked about Sean Payton. McCarthy compares much, uh, very favorably to Sean Payton. Um, but here is the one that I found today that was almost chilling in how similar it is. In 11 seasons, uh, Mike McCarthy has 169 games coached. He's 108 and 60. He's been to the playoffs eight times. He's got five division titles, three conference title game appearances, and a Super Bowl championship. Mike Ditka for the Bears in 11 seasons coached 168 games, was 106 and 62, seven playoff appearances, six division titles, three conference title appearances, one Super Bowl. It's almost identical to how Mike McCarthy uh, coached, and he was fired after one down year in 1992 after going to the playoffs in, what was it? seven of the previous eight seasons 
and he was a Hall of Fame player for the Bears. He resurrected their franchise, won the Super Bowl, and one of the most dominating wins ever. He was a cultural icon in Chicago. His hiring was the last thing that George Hallis did from a front office standpoint before passing away. So if there's a guy that had some equity built up with an organization, it was Mike Ditka, and he was... Uh, 10 wins almost every year. He had a hiccup in 1989, went back with back-to-back 11-5 and seasons in 90 and 91, and then after a 5-11 and year in 92, he was fired. And so that would be an incredibly close comparison to what might happen to McCarthy. And interestingly enough, my last little unique thing, Mike Ditka was 53 years old and two months, or 53 years, two months old when he was fired. When the playoffs come this year, after the... Um, after the end of the regular season for the uh, this year, Mike McCarthy will be 53 years old and two months. Wow, <laughs> that is pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I obviously don't remember 92 too much and Ditka being fired, but I, he's kind of had more of that personality where you could see him kind of wearing on ownership and stuff. Um, but I guess which is different, completely different from McCarthy, who's the never yeah. say anything, never make a scene kind of a guy. So it's that's why it's even more hard to imagine, you know, maybe McCarthy getting fired. But... But if it could happen to, I mean, you're totally yeah. right, because that's part of the reason Ditka got fired. But this would be the equivalent of, I don't even know, like for Mike Ditka, like if he was still alive, this would be like Reggie White coaching the Packers and having won a Super Bowl and then trying to fire him. And and I guess I was trying to think, before I found that Ditka example, I thought there was no historical precedent for somebody as successful as Mike McCarthy being dumped after one year and... I think this one fits like a glove. Yeah, I agree. It definitely seems to. Um, but so here's the thing. So I guess it could happen. Um, but the the question I have is, I think we both agree that if somebody's going to get moved or if you want to change for the sake of feeling like you need a change, McCarthy's going to be the guy. But is it almost more Ted Thompson's fault than Mike McCarthy? Well, that, that's what I was. I I think it's. It's, I don't want to say it's equally both, but that was what I was thinking when you were going through your Ditka thing. Is I bet that one of the big reasons was all of a sudden, you know, Mike Singletary. All these guys are a little bit older. Walter Payton's at the end of his career. You have a, mm-hmm. I don't even know who their quarterback was back. Probably Jim Cramer or something in '92. Uh, I think it was Harbaugh. But the big thing was that uh, Neil Anderson got hurt and wasn't very good anymore, so they couldn't play that power run offense. Yeah, so all of a sudden, you know, your players aren't as good, which is kind of what we're running into now. Like, the system and what we have worked when you had five excellent receivers and you had more talent on defense, you had drafted better at the time, and you had Clay Matthews in his prime and Nick Collins and all these guys um, balling out, and now you've got, you know, shells of players and everybody's hurt, and all of a sudden your your not-so-creative scheme doesn't do as much because you don't have just elite talent to plug in there anymore. So I, th- I think it's a lot Thompson, too, but I... I mean, for McCarthy with a, a roster with Rodgers on it, which is, I think, what makes this unprecedented but still feasible for him to get fired, is because I think a lot of these historic coaches didn't still have their elite quarterback on the roster when they kind of started diving and you know tanking a little bit. Yeah. So I think that's where that's where our ultimate frustration is, and where you know Packer Nation is getting frustrated. Is we still have this guy who we've seen could be potentially the best quarterback of all time still on your roster, and you're all of a sudden <laughs> you're wasting it. And I, I, obviously we've talked about that before, but I think that's what makes this unique to any of those circumstances and why this could be the first time this happens. Yeah, that's a really good point. So the only others, obviously Ditka, his quarterbacks were Harbaugh and I think Peter Tom Willis and a lot of these like terrible, terrible players just rotating in and out for years. Mike Tomzak, who was never very good. And then some of the others I, I brought up, like uh, Tony Dungy had Brad Johnson, Sean King, Trent Dilfer, um, as I said, with Cower, who ended up not getting fired, but certainly could have, if you were looking at it through the same lens, had uh, Cordell Stewart and Kent Graham and these kind of guys. Uh, Gruden, towards the end, had an aging Jeff Garcia. Um, Andy Reid had lost McNabb. Maybe the only one that's close is Sean Payton right now, losing with Drew Brees. Um, but they're not losing because of Drew Brees. They're putting up a bajillion points, and their just defense can't stop anybody. Or they're getting untimely turnovers. But, yeah, I think to have a guy that's two years removed from the league MVP award and have an offense that's this bad, is um, that's unprecedented, too. 
Yeah. Um. So with Thompson, the thing, I think he shares the blame, and the injuries are tough. But as we've seen in the NFL now more than ever, injuries decimate seemingly every team. And to just not even be competitive, especially against a team like Tennessee, who I I posted on Twitter. Uh, a joke about well how how could you expect to win in Tennessee when uh, in the last five seasons Tennessee's uh, eleven and twenty six at home, but to to have it happen to to Tennessee and things like that, um, you got to be more competitive. But then I look at stuff like Ronnie Hillman sort of making an impact with the Vikings or at least for one game, and you see Anquan Bolden playing great for the Detroit Lions and so many free agents everywhere, and then Ted Thompson. Has Mike McCarthy take the field for about a month with a running back that wasn't in camp, barely, and a wide receiver as his only running backs on the roster? Like, how the hell are you supposed to win with that? Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Um, so, I don't know. And, and granted, it was a lot of injuries in one spot, but there's there's been so many undrafted free agents and things like that it, it it seems like McCarthy could be doing more but Ted Thompson sure as heck doesn't make it easy on him right and i i love this strategy of building through the draft i think that that's very obviously every general manager's game plan at this point but you have to supplement it too in you know that when we win the super bowl you you think we're going to do that without Charles Woodson? I, I mean, I would say we probably don't win the Super Bowl that year if we don't have Charles Woodson. We might not have even have made the playoffs, most likely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you have to supplement with pieces like that. And if you're not going to, if that's going to be your thing, is you're absolutely not, you've got to draft a hell of a lot better than they have, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you realize now at this point coming into this year, maybe some of these draft picks aren't turning off, you have to get some more guys coming in. I mean, you can't just sit on these... Uh, undrafted rookies and, and late round picks forever, or you're going to end up having a season like we're having. Well, and that's a really good point that you brought up is that the the draft and develop philosophy is the right way to go. I mean, we've seen these teams flame out when they try to go through free agents and and all that kind of stuff. But the Packers haven't hit on any of those picks in a long time, and you look at the the proteges of Ted Thompson that has gone on and left and are doing that same strategy elsewhere. I mean, you look at uh, John Dorsey in Kansas City, and he's drafting Chris Kelsey and Marcus Peters, and then Seattle seemingly hit on everybody. In Oakland, they go get Derek Carr in the second round. Oakland is killing it, and they're going out and getting free agents, though, too. They have Michael Crabtree, who has been making a huge impact on their team, and a lot of guys on the defense that have been playing really well, too. Mm -hmm. I mean... Oakland is basically doing what we are trying to do right now, but they're doing it better than we are at this point. Yeah, they're basically doing what the Packers were doing in 2008 and nine, and hitting on everybody that they get high. I mean, their two most prominent first-round draft choices recently were Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack, which both look to be slam dunks, and then they get their franchise quarterback as a second-round pick. I mean, that's just nuts, and... Maybe you don't have to do that well, but you can't be getting Datone Jones and HaHa Clinton Dix and trying to stay in there with Seattle. Right, yeah, if that's the only way you're going to build and those are your your big cornerstones, that's not good enough. Yeah, I can't, who is the last big difference maker that they drafted that's like an elite level talent that has a potential to go to a Pro Bowl? I can't even think of one. It, I mean, would it have to be Mike Daniels and he was a third round pick? I guess that would have been um, 2012. Yeah. And even he, I mean, I know it's the position he's in, but, um, and, and maybe I'm a little sour on him because of how terrible they were against the run yesterday. And the only time I noticed him yesterday was when he got a really stupid, uh, personal foul penalty. But I think he's another case of a guy that the Packers and Ted Thompson see as an all-pro level player, and the production and the rest of the league uh, don't, or the production doesn't seem to show it, and the rest of the league doesn't seem to share that opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of people are realizing how good he is at this point. I think the last couple of years he has been a lead, so I, I might fight you a little bit on that one. But I mean, at the same point, you look at all the other players that you might consider their best players at this point, and a most of them are not first and second round picks. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you look at a strong left tackle in Bakhtiari or whatever Lacey, who was a you know not a first round pick. It's just like all of the, these guys 
Um, none of them are really our first-round picks. None of them have become elite-level players. No, and they're all starters, but again, are they starters because they're that good, or are they starters because their competition in camp is a dude who played D3 ball and wasn't drafted? Right. Uh, so, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it's a mix of all of it, but yeah, I, I am on board if they want to move on from McCarthy. We talked last week, or maybe the week before, they've been bad for so long, that what would it take for McCarthy to get fired this year, and, and uh, we debated that, but... I think at this point, with how much dissension there seems to be between him and Rodgers in a lot of ways, and them taking veiled shots at one another in press conferences and things like that, what would it take for McCarthy to save his job the rest of this year? And and maybe a better question than that is, if you had to put a sliding scale on you know, 0% to 100% likely that McCarthy gets fired, um, where do you have it right now, and what would he have to do to push that back into that uh, comfortable range of... Uh, less than 25% chance of getting fired. So basically, we just want to talk about how correct I was last week on the podcast, correct? I mean, just yeah. to clarify that. Yeah, I'm giving you a chance to brag a little bit here. So. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's it's tough. I mean, a playoff spot would probably do it at this point, obviously. I think that's the, the, the divider of a clear job-saving event is him making the playoffs, I think, would do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I, there could clearly be a scenario in this case where the Packers go eight and eight, nine and seven, win the division because our division's awful, and then get blown out in the first round. I mean, you could still potentially see him getting fired after that, right? I mean, it's possible. Yeah. I guess the whole monkey wrench in this is Ted Thompson's future because I doubt he'll get fired because they just like that stability. But I think he should be as much on the hot seat as McCarthy. But I feel like if if Thompson stays, then McCarthy's going to have to be like 6-10 and 10 or something to get fired. But if they do kind of a nice nudge retirement force out to Ted Thompson, then I don't think anything less than an NFC Championship game appearance can save McCarthy if a new GM's coming in. Right, yeah, I would agree with that. It, it, that, that is, like you said, the monkey wrench. It's very interesting because almost nobody's talking about Ted Thompson getting fired. It just doesn't even seem like it's an option. Yeah. You, you just don't, whereas you could see McCarthy potentially getting let go. You just can't see it unless, like you said, they kind of maybe nudge him towards retirement a little earlier than he wanted to. Um, but I, I just don't even see that as happening right now. And I guess they could always make the argument, too, like, hey, we're putting first-round talent out there. They're not developing any of it. You know, maybe that's yeah. on the coaches, too. So I, I just don't see that as a possibility for, for Thompson at this point. So I, I think it's basically all of it. the weight is on McCarthy right now. Do you even want to see Ted Thompson start brand new with a new coach? Like, it's a weird situation. Like, I, I, like I've said, you were right last week that I think McCarthy is worrying out his welcome. But I don't. Is Thompson really willing to go and start anew with a brand new guy? I mean, and and do you yeah. want that? I mean, it, McCarthy, I think, I think he could land on his feet and be fine somewhere else. I don't know if he'd go win another Super Bowl, but he could be um, a guy who's you know a Gary Kubiak level success somewhere else. Uh, well, Kubiak just won the freaking Super Bowl, so I guess that's a bad example. But you know what I mean? Some guy who we don't have a lot of respect for, but probably won't. Um, Who's who's a better example? Like Andy Reid seems a little bit too strong. Even maybe John Fox, like yeah. a, like a guy who's going to be in the mix, but probably not going to win anything without a really good team. But I I don't know. Like I feel like I almost want them to both stay or both go. Yeah, I I would agree with that too. I at least if you know. I, I would have a hard time almost seeing, like you said, Ted Thompson wanting to just completely start fresh with somebody new because he's he's a little bit older and probably probably not too far off from retirement. But, yeah, I mean, if you're going to cut the core, <laughs> maybe you just go both right away. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's tough. It, it might be interesting to see Thompson for a few years without McCarthy just to see what, you know, the more of the issue was just for my curiosity. But yeah. it, sometimes, it, I mean, it's nice if you could, hey, maybe lure one of those guys back that you let walk away and maybe had a lot to do with our development and how well we were drafting for a few years there back before. Yeah. Um, I might be curious to see what happens there, too. Well, I think they always bring up that Elliot Wolf's kind of the guy in the in the uh, wings, but how different could his philosophy possibly be from Ted? Um, but then again, Ted is a Ron Wolf protege, and their philosophies are quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we didn't get to the sliding scale thing. So what is the percentage likelihood that you think McCarthy is fired at the end of this year? Oh, at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only say like 40% at this point just because I think that they're going to be hesitant to do it and there's still a p- potential that this team turns it around too. So yeah. um, 
maybe that seems high to you for a percentage, but I, I think it's it's very possible at this point. Yeah, I think 40 is about exactly what I was going to say. I don't think they're going to finish like 5-11 and 11 or anything like that or even 6-10, and 10, but on the radio today, uh, back from work to start up for this podcast, I heard the sobering thought, and I guess I just hadn't done the math, that to be 9-7, and seven, they'll have to go 5-2 and two the rest of the way. Wow. And, and that just sounds impossible, the way they've played the last two weeks. Well, right, these last two weeks were the, I mean, you can look at our schedule and say, oh, yeah, you can get a couple here, but the last two weeks were those games that you thought you were getting. <laughs> yeah. So there isn't a whole lot of teams left on the schedule that seem any easier than Tennessee at this point. No. Um, I mean, I, I don't, not to spoil my pick, but I'm not real confident going into Washington, going into Philadelphia, um, you know, going into all these games now, playing Houston. I, which game of these games of these are gimmies? You just basically wasted your best opportunity. So five and two is a stretch. Yeah, I would say three and four is kind of how I expect at this at point. Best. I'm looking over the schedule right now, and you know maybe you feel good about the Houston game or playing Chicago, but even playing Chicago on the road, do you feel great about that? No. I mean, I, just, I don't feel good about any of these games anymore, and to expect them to win more than half of them, I just am not confident in it all right now. Yeah, me either. Um, man, that game yesterday was just, not only was it, not fun because it's getting just destroyed by a team that's not any good, but it kind of gave you a glimpse of how the other half lives. This should have been the biggest win for the Tennessee Titans, certainly of the Mariota or Mike Malarkey eras in Tennessee, but probably since 2008 when they were 13-3 and and had the best record in the AFC. But there were so many Packer fans there, and... It got out of hand so early that it just seemed like the crowd wasn't even into the game and the players didn't even seem that excited. It was like that game didn't even matter. Like Tennessee was destroying the Packers and the crowd didn't even hardly care at all. And in in a bizarre way, it made me more appreciative of what we've had uh, in recent years here and just so panicking that we were going to lose that because it just... It sucks to just not even be relevant, and that's like where the Packers are going to be if they play the rest of this way. I mean, they're the Packers, so they'll always be relevant as long as Aaron Rodgers is there, but you can imagine a December where they're like, oh, and then uh, other news, five minutes before the highlights show is over, and uh, the Packers were in Soldier Field, and uh, Aaron Rodgers, two touchdown passes, Packers win 17-7, and we're uh, back after this. You know, and I don't want to be that team. That sucks. Yeah, it sure does, and we haven't felt that way in a while. So it's a, it's a very real possibility that that's us already this season. So in the very very near future. So I guess we'll we will probably get a dose of reality here if they can't figure something out quick. So what is the likelihood that they bring in a new guy and they just seamlessly turn back into a playoff to better contender? Um, I don't know if you'd give it all to a new guy. I'd say there's a pretty good chance they can turn it around, but I, I think you do kind of need a fresh voice or person to do that a little bit I mean it's not getting restarted here we had an off season in between that didn't help we've had all of these big press conferences and relaxes and all this stuff and not, nothing's helping yeah um, so I feel like even if maybe it's maybe the coach isn't a better head coach than Mike McCarthy but I feel like you have to do something to jumpstart some sort of a change at least somebody with some enthusiasm yeah you would think they would have to either bring somebody out of retirement which I keep hearing people say Cower or John Gruden. It's like, maybe not Cower, but McCarthy has been a much better head coach than John Gruden in the NFL it, from a results standpoint. Maybe he didn't make as many cool faces or have as good a press conferences or get the reputation of a genius, but the proof is in the pudding that McCarthy has been way better than Gruden as an actual coach in the NFL. And... So I don't oh, know if, if that's going to work. Go ahead. If they told me that they were replacing him with Gruden, I would say keep McCarthy. I don't. I don't <laughs> want one of these old guys that have been out of touch with the game for you know a decade, coming in and you know trying to put in their old philosophies again. We saw what the Redskins tried to do with with their uh, nostalgia and Joe Gibbs. I mean that sure worked out well for him. Yeah. Um, I just I don't think that's the route to go. But I think if you can find somebody who's actually Holmgren, you don't want to bring Holmgren back. Rather than pulling a head coach from uh, as an offensive coordinator off of a bad offensive team in the 49ers like we did like 10 years ago, you know, maybe get an up and coming <laughs> coordinator um, who specializes in you know in making a defense or offense successful and cultivating talent and things like that. I, that's something I could get behind. And I know you were just saying that as the comparison because the absurdity of how they hired Mike McCarthy. 
but even if this is the end of the line, that crummy offensive coordinator from San Francisco did a pretty damn good job. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I mean, the, his tenure wouldn't have been a failure. Things happen. You need to move on from coaches at some point, and we're not to that point yet. We still got a few games left, but sometimes that just needs to happen. It doesn't mean that his time here was a failure, or that he was a bad head coach. These things just—it's you know—it's business. It's football, and this happens. Well, I know one way that in the meantime that the players can get more inspired is if Aaron Rodgers just perhaps be more demonstrative and yell at them more when they make small mistakes on the field. Yeah, more disappointed facial gestures would definitely help turn this team around right now. I think when you're down by like 22 points in the fourth quarter and a, a young player or a rookie drops a pass, it's real important to like motion the route with your hands. and Just and, so everybody knows it was their fault. Yeah, so it's definitely not your fault. Um, and then to come into the press conference either yesterday or today and basically say, we got to play like our jobs are on the line. Like, can you imagine being in that locker room like – you're talking literally about every single person in this organization except you because you're bulletproof, and you're talking like we need this urgency of jobs are on the line. Screw you, man. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Literally everybody else's job is on the line other than him. I don't think there's anybody who's not expendable. Yeah. So uh, you're right. He's the one guy who can probably say that because it doesn't apply to him, and it does literally to everybody else. So I think everybody else will be playing for that because that's that's – the honest reality right now well and then maybe he should be a little bit more of a leader and try to be a little bit more stoic out there and i know it's got to be beyond frustrating especially if you believe in your heart of hearts that you're not the one screwing up and he probably isn't as good of a player as he is but he's not going anywhere he's going to be just fine he's going to have a celebrity girlfriend and the highest contract in the nfl no matter what happens if they go five and eleven none of that's going to change and so maybe have be a little bit more supportive for the rest of your teammates who literally are playing to sustain this dream for another year or two um, one guy I want to apologize to is Devonte Adams because right now, we we ripped him. Um, we said that he's probably not going to ever develop into something special. And then um, I saw him at Wingstop in Green Bay, and then he probably made eye contact with me and said, "This guy just doesn't think I can do it." So I'll show him. That's what did it. You're you were the hater that sparked the the fuel that has done this. Yeah, it was like every episode. I mean, last year and this year, we just ripped on this guy, and it, he deserved it at that time. Yeah, and. I don't regret doing that because he was he was just terrible. Yeah, but I think um, and it didn't I bother him. I'm a hundred percent sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I can't think of a guy who looked so over the top bad. I was I think I had a pretty demonstrative show on this you know earlier this year where I said that this guy was never going to be anything. Yeah, and has he ever turned that around? And I, I apologize to him for that because he's been the best player on the team for the last few weeks and he's carrying the offense surprise. It's, it's weird. It's like bizarro Packers. Whereas <laughs> it's like the opposite. Everybody else is bad except him where in the past is everybody else was pretty good. And he was the clear worst player on the, <laughs> on the starting roster. And then all of a sudden, I mean, he's, he's not dropping balls. He's running good routes. He's making big plays when we need it. And he's one of the few players that's actually doing that. Yeah, six catches for 156 yards yesterday. Um, and the biggest thing, too, is that this team was dead and not doing anything. And then Aaron Rodgers runs for a touchdown. He gets jacked up in the end zone. And Devontae Adams goes right after him and starts a fight like a great teammate. And that game yesterday, the NFL is so weird now. And there's so many points scored. So you're never quite believing that your team is completely out of it until you're down by 22 with like eight minutes left then you're pretty sure that it's over but they just kept having these moments where you know they get a stop and then Trevor Davis fumbles and then they give up another touchdown and then later on they get a touchdown and then Mason Crosby misses the extra point and then you have this where Rodgers scores on a really nice play. Devontae Adams starts a fight. It's like, hey, this is some emotion. These guys are going to have some pride and come out. And then James Starks gets stuffed on the two-point conversion attempt, and it feels like your your balloon deflates a little bit again. And that was just – they just couldn't get out of their own way yesterday. But uh, Devontae Adams was not to blame uh, despite um, that being the case for most of last year, as he said. Yeah. Jeff Triplett's the worst figure in professional yes. football. Yeah, I mean, it had, if you want to know everything that's wrong with football right now, just any, anybody could have watched that game yesterday and been very clear on this. I mean, 
they were just bumbling through it. And I mean, Wayne Larrabee was just ripping into them. They both were um, on how bad the officials were. Just listening to the the officials make the calls and not knowing the rules and just stumbling through what they were trying to say. And flags constantly. The game took a thousand hours to complete. I mean. It, <laughs> It was it was like halftime through the afternoon games before our game was done. It was <laughs> yeah. just it was a blowout, but it, a ton of points were scored. But it was still just a horrible game. Um, I mean, it, and a lot of that was thanks to Jeff Triplett. But I mean, it's just just a horrible game, and he is just a horrible official. Yeah, he is he is horrible. But like all of the things you just said, is probably the most likely reason why a lot of the ratings are down. It is just a chore to watch a lot of these games. And the NFL got really lucky, and, and maybe it was, they were due that, uh, based on the law of averages, that they got two really high-profile, really awesome games with the Dallas and Pittsburgh game and then the Sunday night game. But there's just so many flags, and they brought up some number that 10 guys have been ejected so far this year, and five of them have been ejected by Jeff Triplett's crew. So who's at fault here? That That's ridiculous, and it... Every play, it seems like they're throwing flags and just these ticky-tack calls. And, man, was that... It's one thing to get blown out, but it was such an unenjoyable experience from all fronts that you're playing a team nobody cares about in front of fans who paid to be there yet still don't care about the game they're watching. Your favorite team's getting pounded, and then this freaking idiot who doesn't know the rules won't let the darn thing end by just keep throwing flags. It was about as bad as the NFL product can be, and unfortunately we're seeing a lot of the games resemble what we saw on um, in Tennessee more so than what we saw in Pittsburgh or in New England. Right, yeah, if they can find a way to get more of that, that's great. And I I watched most of that game last night, other than, of course, when The Walking Dead was on. Um, mm-hmm. But I watched most of that game, and there was it just didn't seem like there was those interruptions. There wasn't that many flags. The, the football was clean, and granted, those may be the two best teams in the NFL, but it, it just it seems so much more clean than any of the Packer games we've watched this year, or like even just most of the, the games on national TV, mm-hmm. where the announcers constantly in every game we watch are complaining about how bad it looks out there. So, I mean, if you can bottle that up, um, I'd, I'd be watching a lot more football right now. Yeah, and it might just be because the Badgers are playing so well and it's exciting, but to watch... College football is different because every single game has a built-in atmosphere. It could be two terrible teams, but because it's there's regionalism and there's school pride that it always seems to have an electric atmosphere, unless you get down to the really low like Sunbelt and Mac-type schools. But... To watch a bunch of games like that on Saturday, and you watch Michigan and Iowa in a slugfest that ends in a walk-off field goal, and then you got to watch that garbage in Tennessee, it really just, um, I don't know, it just makes the NFL not look that great. I don't know why, but um, it just ugh, sucked. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Facebook page because we had some really good comments on here. And uh, uh, Daniel Johnson said, he thought it was a good performance. If you take out the outlier of the 75-yard run, uh, they were able to hold DeMarco Murray to just three yards per carry after that. Rodgers had a good performance with a 55 QBR, which is a slightly above average. Um, two-thirds of the targets to Adams and Nelson was uh, caught. And uh, the defense did a good job stopping Marcus Mariota from getting a perfect QBR and held him to just 96.3. So um, he, he thought he thought they did a good job. Um, so appreciate the, appreciate the optimism there, Daniel. Um, and he had to say that um, could he get our opinion on the NFL having a lot of instances of teams playing a primetime game in consecutive weeks, a Monday night game followed by a Sunday night game. It's happened a lot this season, and I sense he's bringing that up because that is what the Packers are in store for. They're playing at the – I don't believe that game's been flexed out, right? It's still Washington and the Packers on Sunday night? Yeah, for right now. I, it probably won't. It's not bad enough that it would be, I don't think, at this point. And I think at this point in the season, you have to have like two weeks notice. So we probably would have heard about it by now. And then the Monday night game at Philadelphia the following week, which cannot be flexed. Um, My opinion on it, I I think it's weird. It it seems to happen quite a bit. And when it happens to the Packers, I guess I don't quite notice or care that much. I prefer the noon or the probably the 325 time slot is my favorite. Um, it doesn't bother me when it happens to the Packers as much as it bothers me when it happens to other teams. When you, you know, watch a crap team like uh, I don't, I can't think of a, a team that maybe stinks right now. But like you'll see Houston, they'll be on Thursday night football and then they'll be on Sunday night football. And you know, I don't need to see a whole bunch of Houston 
games or Bengals games or things like that. It just, uh, I wish there'd be a little bit more uh, creativity in the scheduling. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it doesn't bother me as a Packer fan when it's the Packers, but more as a neutral fan. You just kind of like to see some different teams. And, like all these NFC East teams, it seems to happen pretty regularly for them. We'll see Sunday and then Monday night. I just like to kind of see some teams you haven't seen so much. Yeah, but not Houston, though. But not Houston, ever. Yeah, yeah. never Houston. No. <laughs> Hashtag never Houston. <laughs> Caleb Pike adds, the replacement players, especially in the secondary, are just not doing well. I've come to terms with the very real possibility that this team doesn't make the playoffs or will get crushed if they do. Uh, So we talked about that earlier, and I think part of what you said, Caleb, about the replacement players, I think has to go on Ted Thompson. They just have huge gaping holes, and it's been tough with injuries, but... That's why maybe you carry a few veterans that uh, won't get completely lost out there rather than a guy who barely played college football at a major level. Right. And uh, Corey Ben has uh, some uh, comments here. So um, I'm going to try to paraphrase some of these, but uh, uh, like all these comments, if you want to read them verbatim, please uh, follow us on the Facebook page. Um, Okay, he said, uh, Mike McCarthy told the team before the game, I want you to go out there and do whatever you can to get me fired. It would have been hard for them to do any better. You can break down the details of the game, but the fact is it was over before it began because the Titans simply wanted it more. Um, and all that, yeah, the the Cobb ending on the third play of the first series. I'm still hearing a few holdouts amongst the fan base, clinging to optimism, most praying that it's injuries that are holding the team back, and they'll somehow turn it around because they always have. And no one is denying the loss of Matthews and Shields, and running out of running backs has limited the team, but that optimism is blind. We need to come to terms with the fact that the 2016 Packers just aren't very good. The Colts and Titans are the kinds of teams that the 2010 and 2014 teams would have curb-stomped, and uh, that's probably true. Um, the the team didn't do much in, uh, sorry, I'm trying to read and paraphrase at the same time. It does not make for good audio, but um, <laughs> last season I said 7-9 uh, and nine and that McCarthy would be gone at the end of the season. Now I think that that may have been generous because with this game behind us, I'm having a hard time finding three more wins on the schedule, mm-hmm. uh, which is what Matt said before. And then Corey had another uh, long comment, but here's one that I wanted to get to. While the streak is undeniably impressive, the notion is now on its deathbed, um, which leaves me to a troubling question. Now that the streak, meaning the seven straight playoff appearances, is almost certainly about to end, was it worth it? Was taking the always build for three years from now, including three years from now, approach? Okay, I see. I'm sorry. This is a lot of reading for me. I'm not that smart. Um, (laughs) Okay, so is it... The approach that Ted Thompson has taken, is the streak really all that meaningful with only one Super Bowl to show for it? Hell, I'll probably look back on the Holmgren Favre era with more fondness than I will on this run. Not only did they have a comparable streak with a second Super Bowl trip, they also had a full two-year run as the consensus best team in football. I think that's because Ron Wolf was smart enough to push all the chips to the center of the table when the time came. So please go to the Facebook page and read Corey's comment in full because he's much more articulate than I made him sound with my Jeff Triplett as uh, uh, reading of that but the key thing that I want to discuss here was if this is it for Mike McCarthy their approach should they have gone all in more often was it worth it the way they done it well I mean yeah I mean in hindsight you would have think that maybe you know two years ago that's when you go all in and you get another one um but Man, that, that's that's really hard to say because I I don't think that anybody foresaw this at all. I think that they thought that they basically coming into every season for the last seven seasons, everybody thought we were you know potentially the best team in the NFC or the NFL. I mean, you were always right there, and I feel like they felt like they didn't have to that they could just sustain this without you know as you said push all the chips in, give up draft picks, etc. They they probably felt that they could sustain this for the long run and be a contender forever until Aaron Rodgers retired, um, if they didn't already have his backup planned at that point. So I think ideally. This works perfectly, but on, in hindsight, you know, we can kind of see now it hasn't worked so great now the last couple of years. Yeah, I I get accused of being the spoiled fan quite often, so I hate using that tone because I don't 100% agree with it. But sitting here now with one Super Bowl title, it absolutely was worth it when you think about the Marino Dolphins, and you think about teams like that that were never able to get anything, the Buffalo Bills with Jim Kelly, 
it's hard to win a Super Bowl. So it's hard for me to look at any run that resulted in a championship and not think that they did it right. And I think that they've been disappointing, and this is where it fits nicely into that Bears comment, because the Bears were picked to win the Super Bowl a whole bunch of other years that ended with home playoff losses, just like the Green Bay Packers. But also, you have to go with what actually happened. But if we're going to play hypotheticals, yes, they could have gone all in more. But while we're playing hypotheticals, how different is this run if they don't fall apart in the final five minutes at the Seattle Seahawks? Then it's way different, and it's one of the most successful. I don't know if they would have beaten New England, but they certainly had a really good opportunity. They probably, um, they, they definitely could have. Maybe it's a 50-50 toss-up with as good as New England is. But how different is it if that is if that is changed? They went to three NFC Championship games with McCarthy, two with Rodgers. Both of the other ones they lost went to overtime. I think. You get caught up on the one championship. It's hard to win a championship. Look at Marino. He is as good as Aaron Rodgers, and if you adjust for stat inflation, he probably was more dominant in his era than Rodgers was in his, and he got to one Super Bowl, got destroyed, and went to two other AFC championship games and got decisively thrashed at home in each of those. I'll take what Rodgers and McCarthy's done. I'm disappointed they couldn't do more, but they certainly aren't going to have nothing to be ashamed of when it's all said and done. Right. I, I, I think I do agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm a little torn, but I think especially had you asked me in 2010 before the Super Bowl, I would have sold my soul for that one championship. And I think <laughs> yeah. I would have gladly said, yes, that would be enough. It's just really hard to stomach when we thought that we were just on the, you know, moving up the hill at that point, that that's all you get. But yeah. I think I agree. I think it was worth it. You get the one. I think, you know, you get Rodgers, your championship, and McCarthy and the, the organization, the championship. I think it's worth it. And it's different now, whereas maybe you look even a little bit more... Um, critical at them Holmgren Packers. I absolutely agree. The most fun I've ever had as a Packer fan, partially because I was little, but be, well, younger, is that time from probably the end of 95 until Super Bowl 32 when you could have brought any team from anywhere at any stadium and the Packers were probably three touchdowns better. I mean, they were the best team in the league and it was so much fun. But then you look at that era. Once you got to that level, one Super Bowl isn't good enough. Denver beats them and then wins another one. Dallas won three of four. San Francisco had won only one in the 90s but won two in the end of the 80s. And so I think to be that dominant as those other teams and only getting one maybe show, reflects a little bit more poorly on them than it does to McCarthy winning one in an era where only the New York Giants have won more than one Super Bowl in the last 10 years. So, I don't know. I, I'm totally... I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm torn on this. But, yeah, it, it's hard to feel too bad about a Super Bowl win, even though it's incredibly disappointing that they had other great teams that should have won Super Bowls that fell apart from either bad coaching or just really bad play at really bad times. Right. All right. Um, so let's get to, uh, the, the picks real quick for this week. Um, I don't, I don't really have anything else to say other than this was a really weird week, I think. just It's hard to be an American this week and not have it just feel like a different week. Maybe that's why I wasn't so upset about the Packers is because when you have an election as contested as this one and with all of the ramifications, football just seems so unimportant this year uh, uh, compared to other years. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And I saw today there was yet another controversy going back to ratings things that Mike Evans didn't want to stand for the national anthem because Trump Trump was elected president. When they asked him about it, he didn't have that good of a point. And so I don't necessarily think he's he's in the right for doing that. But what's really bothering me is seeing a lot of these comments under stories for Colin Kaepernick and for this story just – and I, I heard that with Aaron Rodgers when basically they asked him about the election and he said – well, we've elected uh, someone, and now I think it's important for us to band together. And all of the comments below it were just, well, what do you know? You're a pro athlete. And I just, the hypocrisy in you being some random dude on the internet saying that this famous, well-traveled person who probably sees much more of the country than you've ever seen, to say their opinion doesn't matter while implying that yours does just really rubs me the wrong way. And I think we've had such a contentious uh, political climate recently that people need to just freaking shut up and start listening to each other a little bit. Yeah, I 
great. I mean, what do you want him to say? There's going to be no, no matter what he says. And there, he basically said nothing. Um, and he, he's get, you know, he, people get mad if he stands out one way. People get mad if he stands on the other. People get mad. I mean, there, there's no win for athletes right now. It's a really unusual time. We've never. I mean, it's because of social media, obviously. But we've never had a time where every athlete is expected to make a stance, especially the popular ones. And it's such an unfair thing for them to have to do. Yeah, and then they get criticized for making any stance at all. It. And it, it's it's funny for me to say that. Obviously, there's an irony in me saying, "Don't value your opinion so much." When we have a podcast and 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 all that kind of stuff, but I people just need to chill out. It's it, I wish people would treat. I, I don't mean to sound this like kumbaya because there's more to it than that. But I think part of the reason we had the election we had is that people they just want to shout their opinion at someone else, and then they get mad if they don't immediately accept it instead of trying to learn about why someone believes what they believe. It's just. It's a real stupid time in uh, culture. <laughs> That's a good way to sum that up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, a very eloquent point. <laughs> this time is stupid. <laughs> That's how they'll write it at the end of the... Uh, there'll be memoirs. 2016, how stupid was that? All right, so again, I just typed in week 11 like I did in previous weeks, and it gave me links to week 11 of pregnancy, so I got to start typing NFL after that. You're going to be real knowledgeable at least. Every week along the way. After 16, though, I'm done. I don't, I don't have any idea what's going to happen after that. All right, Sunday Night Football. The Saints at the suddenly surging Panthers. Who do you got? Well, the Panthers lost to the Chiefs yesterday, right? That's right. I totally forgot. So I now like, they're the, like the opposite of surging. I, meant, I, think they're I meant surging almost, down to last place is what I meant. Yeah, I think they're almost officially dead now at this point. I, I can't <laughs> believe that's happening. Um, I... I, I'm really hesitant to pick them because I think I've picked them pretty much every week, and they keep letting you down. And I, um, I get I'm going to pick the Saints. I guess maybe that sounds silly on the road, but I just don't trust the Panthers at all right now. How do you pick a team that lost the NFL's first ever game on a block extra point returned for two points? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That seems like it needed to happen to the Saints, though. If it was going to happen to anybody, the way they've had that, and uh, remember in '03 when they had that wacky successful five lateral play that ends in a missed extra point to lose anyways. So um, I'll pick Carolina in this game just because I, I don't know. Why the heck not, right? Right. The Cardinals at Vikings. Uh, speaking of a team that is struggling, Minnesota has now lost four in a row, and they have the worst offense in the NFL statistically. Well, and they're not team playing against a team that's a whole lot better than they are either. These games are hard to pick because everybody's just on this low level of expectations. Um, the Cardinals barely beat San Francisco. I think Minnesota's bad, but not lose five in a row bad. I guess I'll go Vikings here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you for those reasons. Uh, Arizona's just not very impressive, and uh, you'd think Minnesota, at least at home, can rough up the Cardinals enough to maybe win a low-scoring game. The Bills at the Bengals. And now, again, uh, we haven't seen Cincinnati play quite yet, but... Um, Buffalo looked good, and then they started falling apart again. Gosh, all these teams just stink. Uh, I guess I'll go Bengals because they're at home. I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Bills. I, I don't know. I've got no other reason other than I think they've got a few more weapons and can score score a few more points. I don't really like the Bengals this year. No, and I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, so that's why they stink, obviously. The Bears at the Giants. Uh, the Bears are not good at all, the Giants. Yep, Giants. The Steelers at Browns. Uh, once again, I'm very tempted to pick the Browns just because Pittsburgh seems to always play down to their competition or play up to their competition, as we saw yesterday, but uh, I can't pick them. Uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, their season's on the line here. I don't think they lose this one either. Pittsburgh. The Buccaneers at Chiefs. Kansas City is rolling pretty good here, and at least I picked them to go to the AFC Championship game. So nice. maybe I will be smart a little bit, um, although it's kind of negated by how bad some of my other picks were, but uh, Kansas, <laughs> Kansas City. Yeah. Chiefs here too. The Ravens at Cowboys. Dallas is looking really, really good. Yeah. Um. So I gotta, I gotta pick them. Yeah, and I remember making a comment earlier in the year. Well, if the Cowboys go like seven and one, you have to put Romo back in, right? Just so they can make their run. And now that looks. I couldn't have imagined that happening and going any more differently than I expected. I mean, this team is for real. Dak Prescott's good. Their offensive line is amazing, and Zeke Elliott might even be the MVP this year. Yeah. Um, and that defense somehow has turned things around. I'm going to go Dallas. Yeah, and the scary thing is they're going to be good for a long time. Yep. The Jaguars at Detroit. Detroit, not by not playing, was able to 
take over first place in the NFC North because everybody else in the division is terrible. Um, luckily for them, Jacksonville is even more terrible, so yes. they'll win. Yep, Lions. Titans at Colts, the battle of two great, great teams that showed the Packers. <laughs> who, uh, uh, Colts, I guess, coming off a bye. Yeah, I'll agree with that. The Dolphins at the Rams, who really cares? The Rams stink. Uh, Miami they actually won on a pick six in a decent game against San Diego, and they seem to have something nice here with... Uh, um, I always can never pronounce his name. Ajayi. Ajayi. Yeah, I always want to say Ajay or something, and then I get scared and don't say anything. So um, I'll pick Miami. Yeah, they're playing decent lately. I'll pick the Dolphins too. The Patriots at San Francisco, New England by a 1,000. Yeah, these are some pretty, after those first couple, these are some pretty easy games to pick here. It, it would seem. I'm going to go New England here too. Uh, Eagles at Seahawks, which is probably going to be the national doubleheader game. I don't like Wentz's chance on the road against Seattle Seahawks. No, not at all. I'm I'm going to say over under three picks. I'm going over here. I think um, Seattle roughs them up pretty good. And on Monday night, the Texans playing at the Red Hot Raiders, who are seven and two. So the Raiders getting back to back home games in prime awesome. time. Yep. So I don't mind it in this case because we just haven't seen much of the Raiders, and they're a good team. So uh, I'll pick them to win, and I'm kind of glad to see them again. Yeah, they're fun to watch, too. Uh, I'll go Raiders here, too. All right, and then uh, maybe we'll save this right before the end. Uh, but one thing I was going to post on the podcast, it was really too hard to talk about um, on the podcast website page, is that the similarities, I've been the boy crying 1999 for a lot of years now, and if you're a longtime Packer fan, you know what that means. That's the year when they really slipped in the Favre era. But right now, the Packers have the same order of wins and losses as the 1999 Packers. The records of the teams they've played and lost to are almost identical to the 99 Packers. So there's so many similarities. And the other fun fact is that this point in uh, 1999, the fewest yards allowed in the league were the Ravens. Right now the Ravens have the fewest yards allowed in 2016. The most yards allowed in... 1999 after 10 weeks was the expansion Browns. This year, it's the not expansion, but playing like expansion. Yeah, nearly expansion. <laughs> nearly expansion Browns. And the best team at this stage in 1999 was the 8-1 Jaguars, who had only lost at home to the division rival Tennessee Titans 20-19. to And the best team in 2016 is the Dallas Cowboys at 8-1, who had only lost one game at home to the division rival Giants 20-19. to so the uh, Cowboys have to look forward to a division or a loss in the NFC Championship game to the Giants. Yep, I can definitely see that happening. Absolutely. Okay, um, before we make our Packers-Washington uh, pick, you were at Camp Randall, and you hadn't been there for years. I have never been there, um, and the Badgers got a big, big win over a really bad Illinois team. But uh, how was that uh, atmosphere-wise? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was homecoming, um, so it, it's a little different when you're, you know, what, from when being a kid or from when I would go down there for, you know, Madison when I was in college to now as an adult. It's much different each time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really cool walking around the stadium and being there in historic Camp Randall and just walking around campus. The crowd was great. I mean, even in a blowout, people had a lot of fun and things. So it was, it was good to get down there again and kind of get to experience everything. I never thought about it from that angle. So I, I've never been to Camp Randall. The only Badger game I was at was at Michigan. So I was at the big house. But I was 21 years old at the time, and so you're, you're kind of around people your age, and it's okay to be stupid, and, and you, you don't feel silly kind of getting involved in all that stuff. What's it like coming as a 30-year-old, ge- almost 30-year-old geezer hanging out with those guys? Yeah, it's it's weird now because <laughs> I guess like now you know I'm 29. It's you don't really find yourself around campuses too much, but you just see all these kids running around like partying and drinking and stuff, and it makes you feel even older than you are. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want to go around and get involved in that. Like, hey, can I drink some beer with you guys? Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You just gotta watch from afar, and um, you know, pretty much everybody else around there, you know, sitting by us had kids and stuff. So it definitely made you feel like an adult. Well, that's good. You didn't uh, come and sit amongst them on a box with uh, one eye shut because of uh, drunkenness. I didn't. I didn't do that. Okay, that's. No, wait till you're. In, I'll wait till I'm in my forties for that, or <laughs> early fifties. That's kind of when those Wisconsin guys start doing that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and what you said as far as being on campuses. So I, I guess I'm, I'm used to that feeling of being out of touch and old, just because I, I work at a college, and so you'll see, um, you know, I, I always see guys with like the. Uh, 
um, Odell Beckham style haircut, uh, black guys. So it's not some guy looking ridiculous, like with my complexion with the Odell Beckham haircut, but you know, it's, it's funny to see people doing, you know, having that or, you know, getting, doing like the Pokemon go and all this kind of like trendy stuff for young people. And I'm walking by, good morning, fellows. How are you? Uh, do you need any help with anything? It's just, uh, it's weird. It's very weird. Okay. So, uh, let's pick the Packer game. Oh, real quick. We were talking about the Badgers. It looks like they pretty much control their own destiny right now to potentially be in the college football playoff. And do you think now that uh, Wilton Spate of Michigan is out for the year, most likely with a broken collarbone, do you do you think the Badgers have a path to the uh, playoff? Yeah, they absolutely do. Um, Hold on a second. Your uh, microphone must have come undone because it sounds like you're underwater. Uh, is that better? Yeah, a lot better. Okay. Yeah, I think they absolutely do. The The thing that's scary a little bit is that there's a very real possibility that Penn State is the team they would have to play in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah. And I, I think if that happens, I think you have a good chance of winning, but I think that kind of wipes out their chances because I think um, for them to get in, you probably really need to see them beat Ohio State or Michigan. So I, I guess at this point, I'm kind of rooting for the tougher matchup. And, you know, if, of course the batters can win out, that you get to see Michigan or Ohio State again. Because at that point, you get, you know, one of those teams will have two losses already, and then you beat another in the Big Ten championship game, and then you are on their level with wins and losses. I think that's their only way. Yeah, I think you're right, unless Penn State really puts a big-time whipping on whoever they have left on their schedule. But I can't imagine there's anybody too impressive left for them to play because I know they're not playing Nebraska, and they're not playing Minnesota, and... Um, I think they already played Iowa. The problem there, though, is they get in in lieu of Ohio State, so Ohio State can win out with only one loss. I mean, you could very well see the Badgers have two losses in Big Ten champs and maybe miss out to an Ohio State team with one loss who they lost to. Yeah. You know, that could that could also happen, too. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think there's an outside shot they take two Big Ten teams because of how down the SEC is, and they clearly have no respect for the Pac-12. The ACC is kind of iffy. I know they have uh, Clemson and Louisville, but uh, Clemson's loss was pretty bad. And if anything, Clemson's loss to Pittsburgh helps look make Penn State look better, which helps make the Badgers look better <laughs> if they were to beat Penn State. So uh, perhaps there's some domino effect there. I think it would be so exciting because you you want to take your chance at the playoff because you're not going to get very many opportunities. But I'm a little bit afraid at how bad the beating would be because unless there's some crazy turmoil or the Badgers beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game by like two touchdowns, they're going to be the four and they're going to get destroyed by Alabama. Yeah, I think they hang with anybody except Alabama. I would be a little terrified of that. But the good thing is I guess a lot of people would probably expect it. It's not like you'd go in there and get blown out and beat. You know, nobody would see it coming. But mm-hmm. I think if you know if you can get Louisville or Clemson or anything like that I, or Washington, I, I like their chances to hang in there. Yeah, I think they can beat all of those teams because they don't play physical enough to hang with Wisconsin, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, I – you you want to try to sound like, oh, well, maybe I've said this in the past on the show that it's not the best for recruiting to be on national TV and get pulverized. But when you're Wisconsin, you got to go to the playoff every single chance you get. And if you lose 60 to nothing, so be it. You got to take those chances when you get them. Okay, so let's wrap this up by picking the Green Bay Packers at the Washington Redskins on Sunday night football. You kind of hinted at it before, but do you like the Packers odds in this game? No, not enough to pick them, I don't think. I'm not going to be real shocked if they win, obviously. I don't think Washington's a great team either. But, I mean, just looking so poor on defense, I think this Washington offense has a chance to put up quite a few points and, you know, beat this poor secondary deep a few times. And uh, I I don't know. I don't trust our offense to put up more than 21 points, really. So I'll pick Washington. I'm going to agree with you. Things could get really ugly. Uh, it made me really nervous about what the rest of the season is going to be like once you heard McCarthy be so defensive, talking about how good of a coach he was and things of that nature. And that just reeks of a unsettled locker room. And that definitely doesn't bode well going on the road with a bad defense against a team that can score in prime time in the venue where you defeated this team in the playoffs last year. So I, I think the Packers... I'm I'm more leaning towards that it's going to be a loss that's a competitive, high-scoring game. Maybe not quite as close as the Atlanta game, but um, yeah, I I honestly would be pretty surprised if they won. 
All right, so that about wraps it up for Green and Gold Forever. Uh, thank you, everybody, for contributing on the Facebook page. And if you have any other comments that you'd like us to talk about in future weeks, please uh, put them on the Facebook page. And if you don't uh, like us on Facebook, please do that already. We're always discussing various things throughout the week. Um, also, you should uh, follow us on Twitter. I mean, should is a little strong. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm not going to make you. Must. <laughs> Must follow us on Twitter. Uh, at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four. Uh, also, also, download the Podbean app and follow Green and Gold Forever on there. You get the complete archives of Green and Gold Forever. Also, you can follow us on iTunes, so you can listen to us on the iTunes podcasting app or on iTunes through um, your desktop device. Um, I think either one of those are great, but the true advantage is at the Podbean app because you can listen to the complete archives. So right now when you're in desperate need to remember the better days of the Rogers McCarthy era, uh, you can go and listen to our archives there. Although we missed out on the best part because we didn't start until 2012. So maybe uh, listen to those big blowouts in uh, November of 2014. Maybe that's the peak of Green and Gold Forever. I guess so. Uh, or actually listen to the Big Flynn comeback against Dallas. That was probably the best game that we've yeah, been Yeah, that was a great one. So go back and listen to that one, um, and that'll uh, keep you going until the Packers win again, which could be a long, long time from now. So for Matt in Altoona, I am Eric in Appleton. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of your week. Take care, everyone.